Well, good morning, church. We are continuing today in our second week of Don't Miss Christmas. And I thought after last week, thinking about Home Alone, thinking about all the details of family, all the details that go into Christmas, I really think that family is one of the biggest details of Christmas, really one of the biggest details of the holiday season. I want you to think back to every Christmas you've ever had. I'm sure you've probably got a crazy grandfather. I'm sure you probably got an easy, even crazier uncle, probably a descendant of that crazy grandfather. I'm sure you've got an aunt that you have to worry about getting around the eggnog a little too much. I'm sure that you probably have cousins you had to watch out for growing up because they might take you out around the holidays. I know I certainly had three it was just me and my little brother, all right, my little brother was a little pipsqueak, and it was basically just me against these other three cousins, and, and I won every time, but I knew Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter, they were coming for me. Now they could probably take me. I think we have family that stirs up trouble. I think we have family that just avoids trouble, and I think you know what I'm talking about. Anytime the football game's on and it's going a little south, not the, you know, the way that that one uncle wanted it to, and he starts raising his voice, then maybe your parents or maybe another aunt or uncle gets a little uncomfortable with the conflict, and they just go to another room completely until the game is completely over. And if you're lucky, that's all the conflict you have around the holidays. It's just based around a football game, but chances are pretty highly likely that that is not all of the conflict that we have around this time of year. We have family that gives great gifts, and then we have family that just forgets it's Christmas altogether. Oh, did you need something? And they run to Dollar General and buy you a pair of socks. I think family is such a big part of the details of the holidays because family doesn't just dictate how Christmas goes. See, for us, family dict dictates who we are genetically, if we're tall, if we're short, the color of our skin, how fast we are, how slow we are how thin we are, how wide we are. Family dictates everything. They also dictate the environment that we grow up in, whether that was good or whether that was bad. And the family that they had before them dictated the environment that they grew up in, all based around these details of who your family is made up of. And so you get all of these parts working together and coming together, and there's going to be some craziness taking place. There's going to be some madness in the details. The family also dictates the kind of people that we associate ourselves with. See, I'm more likely to so associate myself with people like my family because that's who I'm used to being around, and it's the same for you. I think culturally, we've become absolutely obsessed with our families. If you've heard of things like 23 and me, you've heard of Ancestry.com. How many of you guys have taken part in those things? to find out who your ancient ancestors are? Okay, that's not near as many as I thought. <laughs> but basically what I hear you have to do to find out who your family and your relatives and your ancestors are and to find out how much of you is from Scandinavia and how much of you is from Germany or Ireland or Scotland is you basically get a tube and you have to spit into it until this thing is absolutely full, which I've also heard is a, quite a challenge. And then you send it off and it gets tested. So if you've taken part in that, and 20 years from now, you see somebody that looks exactly like you, but 20 years younger, I just want you to know you've been cloned, okay? <laughs> it's nothing to do with Christmas, nothing to do with the message today. I just want you to know you fell for that one, okay? That's on you. I haven't done it. I have a family tree. We have a genealogy. I know where I'm from. It's going to be okay. It's probably all lies anyway. So 
family is an obsession to us. It's actually such an obsession that right now, globally, every single year, we spend $8.5 billion, not million, billion dollars trying to figure out where we came from, trying to figure out whose we are, trying to figure out where our ancestors used to live. We are absolutely obsessed, not just with who we are, but who we came from, because all of that determines and dictates who we are, how we act, how we interact. But we aren't the only ones. Today, if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead, turn to the first page of the New Testament. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. We see that genealogies, that lineages, that family lines, family trees were insanely important to the Jewish people as well. Now, they didn't have 23andMe. They didn't have Ancestry.com. They didn't have ways to tie it digitally, but they kept such a good account of their family trees because they chronicled a person's heritage. And if you could chronicle a person's heritage, then you could chronicle their inheritance. And if you could chronicle their inheritance, then you could chronicle their rights. And this is how they tracked who was in the bloodline of God's chosen, chosen people, who was a true Jewish person. And why was that important to them? Because if you could tell who a true Jewish person was and who you could track them back to, then you could see what covenant God had made with his people that he would be fulfilling unto them. So when we start off in the gospel of Matthew, we have to take a couple of things into account. The first thing is that Matthew is not writing necessarily to convince us of who Jesus is, although that also is part of the case, knowing that one day this will be biblical canon. But what Matthew is doing is Matthew is writing at the end of Jesus's life, knowing that Jesus came, that he lived a perfect life, that he got to spend three years of his life in ministry with Jesus. He saw him die on a cross. He saw him rise from the dead. He saw him for the 40 days after he ascended from the dead, and then he ascended into heaven. Matthew has seen all that. Matthew has seen the people that Jesus came from. Matthew saw the people that Jesus hung out with. And so what Matthew is trying to do is relate to this Jewish audience that Jesus traces back to the bloodline of King David, and not just King David, but Abraham. And Matthew, in doing this, and trying to convince this Jewish audience that Jesus is the Messiah, is doing just that. He is trying to legitimize who Jesus is was trying to say this is the guy that you put on the cross yes but this is also the guy whom we have been waiting for but matthew does it in such a peculiar way now if you think of knights knights one of my favorite movies ever a knight's tale if you needed a good date night this holiday season that's that's the hitter for you okay that is it right there a knight's tale he has to fake that he is a knight, and so they go and they make patents of nobility so that he can joust, and it's all made up. And so when you're thinking about what Matthew would, should be doing to convince these Jewish people that Jesus is the Messiah, you would think that he would throw the most kingly, the most perfect, the most I-have-it-all-together kinds of people into this genealogy, but Matthew does not do that at all. There are some kings in there. There are certainly some very unkingly people. Some people do not fit in this genealogy. And I think there's a point in all of that. See, because Matthew is writing at the end of Jesus' life, and he is writing, seeing the people that he associated himself with, and so I think he's tying back when we read this genealogy 
to the kinds of people that Jesus came from and the kinds of people that Jesus came for. So, we are going to read the first part, verses 1 through 17, of the book of Matthew together. Now, if you've ever done a read through the Bible plan, this is probably another one of those that you just skimmed through. There are so many names in here, and I have practiced this over and over and over this week so that I can, I can't even say words right now. (laughs) I'm a little nervous about this, but we're going to get through it. I don't know if it's enunciate or pronunciate, but we're getting through it, all right? So Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Let's take a deep breath. Here we go. All right. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Starting off strong. Here we go. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Abinadab. Nope, Aminadab, all right? And Aminadab the father of (laughs) Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, clearly a pescatarian, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, finally, a normal name, and Jesse, the father of David, another one, the king. All right, we're a third of the way there. We've gone from Abraham to David. He's starting to make the connections, putting the dots together, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, not even his wife, a friend's wife, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, jumping Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Jeram, and Jeram, the father of Uzziah, the very king that we talked about that was, Isaiah was under two weeks ago, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, who was famous and made cookies, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. There we go, two-thirds of the way. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiad, and Abiad the father of Elakim, and Elakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Akim, and Akim the father of Eliad, and Eliad the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Matham. I think that's just Matthew and Nathan. I don't think his parents could agree on the name there. And Matham, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Amelia. I'm just kidding. (laughs) This has all been so serious. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So, all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Man, we did it, guys. Take a big old swig of water. All right. Hopefully that'll get me through. That is water, whoever just said that. (laughs) You can try it later, unless Jesus turns it into something else. Okay, what we see here is that Matthew 
is proving that Jesus is a direct recipient of all the promises and all the covenants that were made by God to Abraham and to David. But what we see here is that this is an unusual genealogy, as we just touched on. This is something that we skim over, we skip completely over and over and over. But if we actually stop, if we actually pause and we look up some of these names, there are some incredible stories that take place here. Now we read this and we're like, okay, that's a bunch of really hard to say names. But the Jewish people would have read this and they would have said, I know Abraham and I know I come from him. I know David and I know he was the king that was supposed to set up this messianic king. He was the example of what was to come. He is the example of what we are looking for. But the closer it got to Mary, the closer it got to Joseph, it goes from far off legendary men in Jesus's bloodline to some people that they would have said, you know what, I know that person. That was my next door neighbor. Oh, they lived across town from us. And so every single one of these people would have triggered a story, and every single one of these stories would have triggered who they should be looking for in the Messiah. And so Matthew pulls from all over the chart. Matthew pulls kings, and he pulls carpenters. Matthew pulls rich people, and he pulls poor people. Matthew pulls faithful people, and Matthew pulls unfaithful people. And one of the most scandalous things that he could have done, especially trying to prove to a Jewish audience, is what Matthew does is he pulls from Jewish men. And then everything gets flipped upside down, much like has happened in Jesus' ministry. Matthew pulls Gentile, not men, Gentile women into the picture. Culturally, this would have flipped everything. You want to prove who Jesus is? You're not going to do it this way. But he's proving a bigger point here. See, we could go through every single one of these names, and that could be the rest of our sermon series all the way through 2023. But what I want to do this morning is I want to look at that most scandalous detail of this, and that there are women, and not only women, but Gentile women mentioned within this. There are four mothers in a long line of fathers, and so let's look at these people. There's Tamar, and who is Tamar? Tamar was not a prostitute, but Tamar pretended to be a prostitute and then slept with her father-in-law. Jesus came from the bloodline of Tamar. There is Rahab, and Rahab was a prostitute. There was Ruth, and Ruth was neither of those things, but Ruth was a widow. Not only was she a widow, but she was a foreigner. We start to see all of this come together. Jesus doesn't come just from broken people. And then there was Bathsheba. Bathsheba, as a lot of you may know out of the story of David, was the subject of adultery and murder of her husband by King David. None of these women were Jewish. Rahab, Ruth, Tamar, all Gentiles, and then Bathsheba, even if she was Jewish, she married Uriah, who was a Hittite and was living in a Gentile household. So we read this. We see all these things. We start connecting the dots and all these details. But what makes this matter? What makes this matter is that in Jesus' genealogy, we see that Jesus comes from broken people. Jesus comes from broken people. Last week, we made the point very clear. Jesus came for broken people. But in coming for broken people, he's coming for the very people whom he came from. This morning, maybe you realize that there is brokenness in your life. Maybe you realize that you don't come from the perfect family. Maybe you realize that there is brokenness in your family. 
So what does it mean that Jesus comes from broken people? It means that God can and God will use any life that he so chooses. He can redeem any story that he so chooses. God can and God will use broken people. And he uses broken people to bring about the only one who can make that beautiful out of the brokenness. From brokenness to beauty. You think of a mosaic stained glass. Without being all put together, it's a bunch of shards of glass on the floor that are different colors. But when you start to put them together, this shard looks different than this shard. This shard is a different size. This one's a different shape. It's a different color. And you start to weave them together. You start to solder them. It goes from trash with a trash can to something that is beautiful. If we look at Jesus' genealogy as a bunch of broken people that just need to be discarded and thrown aside, we miss the point completely because we miss the reason that Jesus came. And that was for broken people and from broken people to take the brokenness and make it beautiful. We see the people Jesus came from sets him up for his ministry and the role ahead of him. In his ministry, who does Jesus call? Jesus calls broken, messy people. People that probably stunk quite a bit people that probably didn't have the best hygiene, people that probably didn't have the best lives or make the best decisions. He called tax collectors, he called fishermen, he called zealots, he called prostitutes, and he is still calling broken people today. I want you to know that you don't have to have it all together. Jesus calls you into relationship with, with him, and he takes broken things and he makes them whole and he makes them beautiful. So if you came in here this morning, maybe just because it's the holiday season and you feel like you are not good enough for God, I want you to know that none of us in this building are good enough for God. But I want you to know it is only through Jesus and us inheriting his righteousness that we could ever be in right relationship with God. It is all by Jesus, all through Jesus, and our lives are all for Jesus. So you do not have to have it all together. Gather your broken pieces and put them before Jesus and say, take this, make something useful, make something beautiful out of it. And I think what we see over and over again, especially in scripture and especially in Jesus's genealogy is the more messed up we are, the more broken we are, the more jaded, the more baggage we have, the more Jesus gets to show off in his restoration and the more he can use that and repurpose that when we give our lives to him. So now we hone in on what Matthew was trying to prove, and that is Jesus's role. His role is the fulfillment of God's promises, as we see in this genealogy. So the first one, Jesus is the son of Abraham. Genesis 12, ch- uh, chapter 12, verse 3. God says to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all families on earth shall be blessed. So what do we see about Jesus and that he is the son of Abraham? We see that Jesus is the one who brings blessing to the entire world and every type of person in it. And this wasn't something that Jesus did a long time ago. This is something that Jesus is still doing today. He is still bringing his blessing on the world. And if you are a part of the church, capital C, if you are a part of this church, then you are a part of his body. You are his bride. And through the Holy Spirit, Jesus is bringing a blessing on this earth. He is doing it himself, and he is doing it through you. 
And it's no longer just for Israel. It's no longer just for the Jews. It's no longer just for God's chosen people because now us Gentiles are included within this promise. Jesus's life and his death open us up to the ability to be adopted. And it's in Jesus, Abraham's children really do outnumber the stars. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. And so, church, as an adopted child into the family of God, we are called to be blessing. That is part of God's promise to Abraham, and that is on us to help fulfill. So are we being a blessing? This holiday season, are we being a blessing in our relationships? Are we being a blessing in our, re- in our marriages, in our families, in our jobs? Something that we have to look at as sons and daughters of the king adopted into the family of Abraham. Jesus is also the son of David. We see this, 2 Samuel seven sixteen. and your house, this is God saying this to David, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Isaiah 9, 7 says this, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So what do we see in that Jesus is the son of David? We see that Jesus is the promised ruler who has come. And he is coming back to rule with peace and with justice. And through Jesus, peace and justice justice are offered not just to us, but to the entire world. So how do we apply this? Church family, have we allowed Jesus to bring us justice? Have we allowed Jesus to bring justice to our lives for our sins? Have we allowed Jesus to bring justice into the lives of others who have sinned against us? Have we allowed Jesus to bring justice into the sin of that which we experience around us? Are we trying to take justice into our own hands and take care of it ourselves? Peace and justice go hand in hand, and without justice, there will not be peace. So if you want peace, let's let Jesus right our wrongs. Let's let Jesus restore our hearts from the wrongs that others have committed against us, and let's let Jesus bring peace into our lives like we have never experienced it. If we keep trying to bring justice on our own, we keep trying to justify our sins ourselves, if we keep trying to work and work and work to be better, to earn our righteousness, to be good enough in order to be saved, to be good enough in order to have Jesus, then we're completely missing the point. We are saved through Jesus and Jesus alone by grace through faith. Let's let Jesus right our wrongs as he did on the cross and stop trying to do it ourselves. Let's let Jesus restore our hearts. Let's let Jesus take care of justice in our lives so that we can experience peace. And then finally, Jesus is the Messiah. The Messiah was supposed to be the great liberator of Jews. That's at least what they thought he was going to be. So when they're reading through this genealogy, they're saying, okay, there's Abraham. Okay, there's King David. And now we're looking for Jesus and this Messiah who we are hoping will come that they did not believe who he was, was supposed to relieve them, to liberate them, to free them from the oppression of Rome. They were looking for a Sir William Wallace character. 
as he freed Scotland from England. But what they got instead was a humble, lowly carpenter who loved, who served, and who did not liberate them from Roman oppression, but instead liberated them from the oppression of sin. And so what do we see in that Jesus is the Messiah? Jesus Christ is the anointed leader who liberates the world from sin. So if in Jesus there's liberation from sin, have we asked Jesus to set us free of our sin? Have we asked Jesus to set us free from the consequences of our sin, completely liberated, the chains undone, the handcuffs off? We are no longer slaves, but we are free in Jesus. So when we put all of this together, we have our final point this morning, and that is that Jesus, in Christmas, Jesus the anointed king who will bless all nations is born. And it took person after person after person. Some good, some bad. Some kings, some carpenters. Some lowly, some high. Some rich, some poor. And God taking all of those pieces and putting them together that brought Jesus into the world. So, it's not just a long list of names. It's a fulfillment of promises that God makes, not just to his people, the Jewish people, but now opened up to us as Gentiles, adopted into God's family. So Jesus and Christmas is king. Jesus and Christmas is the blessing. Jesus and Christmas is the Messiah. So the question we have to ask, is he our king? Have I made Jesus my king? Have I made Jesus my blessing? Or am I still trying to make my own blessings pop up? If Jesus is my king, if Jesus is my blessing, am I being a blessing to others, being a fulfillment of that Abrahamic covenant? And is Jesus my Messiah? Has Jesus liberated me from my sin? I want you to know it doesn't matter how broken, how sinful you may feel, how dirty, messed up your past may be. There is freedom, there is restoration, there is forgiveness, and there is a slate wiped clean in Jesus, but it is only in Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, this morning I realize that we're coming from all over the place in our walks with you. And so, Father, this morning, I pray that if there is someone in here that has not accepted you as their Messiah to be liberated from their sin. Jesus, that we would just take this time right now for them to do that. Church, if that is you, heads bowed, eyes closed, if that is you, and you'd like to ask Jesus to set you free from sin, you would ask him for forgiveness of sin, to put you in right relationship with God through his perfect life, through his death on the cross, what we would ask you to do is just fill out that bottom part on the back side of your connect card, saying, I want to take a next step in relationship with Jesus. We want to connect with you on that. We want to walk you through that. But we want you to experience for the first time that Jesus is king. He is the biggest blessing. He is the Messiah, not only the Messiah, but he wants to be your Messiah. Jesus, I pray for us that are in relationship with you that we would take this so seriously, that it wouldn't just be something that we walk into once a year, as we focus on you in the manger. But Father, we would 
see your son Jesus as king every single day, that we would see him as the biggest blessing of our lives, the blessing that gave us life, and that we would see him as Messiah, and through our, being our Messiah and liberating us from sin, that we are no longer slaves to sin, but that we can move past that, and we can move into life with you, being filled with the Spirit, and we can walk in step with you. Jesus, help us to realize that you were born into a manger, but you did not stay a baby in that manger. You grew up to be so much more, and then to give your life for us. Help us to realize that. Help us to walk in that. Help us to live in that as we go about our holiday season. You are king. You are the blessing. You are the Messiah, and we thank you for that, Jesus. It is in your precious name we pray. Amen.